welcome to Gentle Man, a podcast devoted to redefining manhood in the 21st century. My name is Arjuna, I'm your host, and today I'm going to be talking about my four tenets of manhood. Now, it's another somewhat grandiose sounding title, and I want to clarify that these aren't the core things that I think of as being central to manhood. As you will come to learn about my message, if you haven't learned already, I believe that there are no, there's no definition which sums up manhood. There's nothing you can point to, which is the be-all and the end-all of what manhood or a man is. So rather, what I want to talk about today is four areas that I think men most need to focus on in this day and age. So these four tenets are things where I feel like if men focused on and showed up for these four things, it would go a drastic distance towards reducing harm and creating a better world, frankly, and a world in which men are doing good, a world in which men can be proud to be men and don't have to feel shame around it. So I'm going to summarize these tenets here, and then I will dive in and start to talk about each one individually. So tenet number one, do no harm. Don't hurt anyone. Simple golden rule there. Tenet number two, contribute. This means showing up for your relationships, your community, your commitments, showing up more around the house, all that kind of stuff. Tenet number three, work on yourself. So this is therapy. This is developing, being self-reflective, accepting criticism, learning how to get your needs met, all that kind of stuff. And then finally, number four, developing your awareness. And this is a lot about how do I behave around other people? How do I behave in shared spaces? How much space do I take up? How much do I listen? How much space do I leave for or create for people who aren't as privileged as I am? So now that I've given you the overview for these four tenets, let's go into them. Starting with tenet number one, do no harm. This is the most important tenet on this list, and I think a, a large part of why manhood is under such scrutiny at the moment is that men have developed a reputation for being harmful. So what are some of the ways physically men get into physical altercations, men assault people? Sometimes men just use the threat of assault or the threat of their body to intimidate someone or to get what they want or to make a point. There's a deep history to this. I'm not going to go into it in detail, but it is a fact that a majority of violent crime is committed by men. Majority of domestic violence is committed by men. Clearly, this is an issue that men need to get on top of. Included with this is not bullying or harassing people. So even if you're not using violence or the threat of violence to coerce someone, you can throw your weight around or you can throw your privilege around or just using your words, just the way that you communicate, the way that you show up, what you imply with your communication can be enough to bully or harass or intimidate someone. It's, it's really an abuse of power. Feeling like you are in a strong enough or powerful enough place to make someone else feel uncomfortable or to make someone else do what you want them to do. This also carries over into sexual assault or sexual harassment as well, 
which we so see commonly directed towards women. Not just women. I mean, men will harass other men, especially if they're interested in them sexually. But a majority of it we see in society is men harassing and sexually assaulting women. So it should go without saying that men shouldn't be doing this. But it happens so often still that people need to keep saying it. Men need to keep saying it. Everyone needs to keep saying it. It's not okay to sexually harass or assault anyone. Let's talk about sexual harassment a little bit more. I think that there are a lot of men who sexually harass women and they either try to play it off or pretend that they're not doing it or they try to pretend that they don't know that they're doing it. When you're getting into this, it's really important to pay attention to your intent. If you're talking to someone, it's really important to be honest with yourself up front. What's my intent? In talking to this person. If your intent is to flirt or to make some comment uh, or to be suggestive in any way, it's important to really consider to consider it before you do it. Is this appropriate? Am I, you know, am I in an appropriate setting? If you're at a singles bar, okay, you can walk up to someone and use some pickup line and, you know, maybe it's not going to go very well. Maybe it will go well, who knows, right? But at least that's a, that's a setting in which someone's put themselves there for a specific reason, right? Because they would like to be approached. But if someone's in your workplace, a coworker, or if you're in someone else's workplace, maybe there's a server or someone at a register or a bank teller or anything like that, it's probably not appropriate to hit on that person or it's probably not appropriate to make some suggestive comment about how good someone looks. There are so many interactions that happen which are really inappropriate. It's really important for men to start looking more critically at that. I would say a last part of doing no harm is don't lie or break your agreements or make false promises. So this is another way that men can be really harmful is not telling the truth or misrepresenting the truth or hiding, hiding important parts of the truth, making commitments and then not following through on them. This one category, do no harm, I think if men took that to heart and changed their behavior around it, if, if men went into their days telling themselves, today I will do no harm, and if men went into every interaction that they had thinking to themselves, I will do no harm in this interaction, and then just thinking about what that looks like. Take a moment. I, let's do this exercise right now, you listening. Take a moment to think to yourself, what does do no harm mean to me? How do I talk to people when my intention is to do no harm? How do I hold my body around people that I intend to do no harm to? How do I comport myself in public? How do I stand on the subway? How do I stand on the bus? How do I sit on the bus? How do I address someone who's helping me at the grocery store? How do I talk to someone who asks me for help? I would say even more importantly, when I feel threatened or when I'm having a bad day, when I'm not getting my needs met? What does do no harm look like in that situation? Does that mean that I need to take myself out of the situation and be by myself and, you know, let my big emotions calm down? What does it mean? What does it look like? So this is really important because it's going to look different for each person. Another thing that's important in do no harm is to just pay attention to power dynamics. What do you feel like your power dynamics are with your coworkers, with your friends? with your partner, with your children, with other men that you know. And if you find yourself, if you're consistently in a situation where 
you're powerful, you have social power, you're higher up in the, in the social hierarchy or dynamic is especially important to examine how you do no harm. So I can't stress this one enough. This is the heart of the work that we're doing here on this podcast. All right, let's move on to the second category here, contribute. So this is another big one. This is a tie-in with don't break your agreements. A big part of contributing first and foremost is simply to show up for the agreements you've already made. So what would that look like? If you've made commitments, let's say you've made a commitment with your partner, you're going to hang out, you know, on the weekend, or you set a date, maybe you have a regular date that you get together with someone every week. The first thing is any agreements that you've already made, anything that you're already committed to, you need to show up for that stuff. Something that's so common with men is to back out of agreements that they make or commitments that they have. It's a shirking of responsibility. Again, I think that there are many factors that go into why this is common for men that I'm, I'm not going to go deep dive in on, but trust me, it's a thing. So many women that I speak to, one of their biggest criticisms of men is that they just don't show up. They don't show up in their communities. Maybe someone has a church or they have a community group or maybe it's a you know PTA, a school thing. Uh, it could be so many different things. Men have a tendency to not take the lead as much or not show up or not do as much work in those kind of spaces. Let's talk about relationships. There's a lot of relationships that men struggle to show up in. Friendships is a big one. Men, especially adult men, struggle often to maintain friendships. One of the reasons for that is that it takes work. It takes emotional work. It takes a kind of constancy and consistency, which again is kind of more associated with and socialized with women. But it's just as important for men to have good friendships and good relationships in general, good community relationships, right? Maybe people you're not even super close with, but it's still really important that you maintain a relationship with those people. That's how communities work, is you, you have a lot of people showing up and maintaining some kind of a relationship, some kind of a mutual respect, some kind of a shared vision, some kind of a respect for shared space. So these commitments, these relationships are really important. And all too often men, they don't show up for them or they, they shirk the responsibility or they displace the responsibility onto their partners or other relatives or oftentimes other women in their lives. Another part of contributing and, and showing up that's I want to underscore is showing up for your children. I mean, this is like, it's one of the oldest stories in the book, right? Where a man has children and then disappears. Or maybe he stays in the picture, but he's emotionally absent. Or maybe he's not showing up for his co-parent. Maybe he's not paying child support. Say that you have children with someone that you don't continue your relationship with, or your romantic relationship with. And now you have a, you know, a mixed family or a, a complex family. A lot of men don't want to show up for that. They don't want to put in the work because it's difficult. And a lot of times it's emotional. It takes a lot of emotional labor. Let's talk about emotional labor. The term emotional labor has been thrown around a lot. People have posted on social media about how the term has been misused. Both parts of it are important. The original intended use of the word and the extrapolated use of the word are both important, whether one may be more accurate. 
the more accurate representation. So the original intention of this term emotional labor referred to people, often women, being expected to show up in some kind of emotional way or emotional state in order to do a job or play a role in a community or even in a in a relationship being expected to essentially put on a face or misrepresent themselves in some way in order to maintain membership or in order to maintain their place whether it's their place in a relationship their position in their workplace whatever role they fulfill in a community environment so it's essentially uh, the burden of inauthenticity, not being able to say, screw this, I don't want to do this today, or not being able to say, this is how this makes me feel and I want to talk about it, right? It's the expectation that you just put on your fake smile and shut up, grit your teeth, get on with it. That's the more initially intended connotation of that term, emotional labor. But what has happened is that the concept has been expanded upon. People have adopted this term to refer more broadly to emotional work. And so emotional work can look like a lot of different things. A lot of it is relationship-based. A good example of emotional labor would be people keeping in touch with their friends, people maybe sending Christmas cards to the family, people making plans, Especially if you're a parent, there's all kinds of emotional labor around maintaining good relationships with other parents that your kids play with, or showing up for school functions, or answering emails related to your child. There's all of this work, there's so much communication work and relationship maintenance, which goes into being in a family, even if you don't have children. There's, you know, holiday parties, there's relatives, this is a very common scenario where men will put a lot of the social burden onto their women partners. So an example would be maybe your wife or, or your girlfriend, your partner is the person who does all of the social planning in your life. They're the person who texts people and organizes where you're going to meet up and when and makes all the decisions and talks about everyone's dietary needs and accommodations and all that kind of stuff. So oftentimes this this ends up getting put on women to do this work. Holidays are a big one. Thanksgiving, Christmas, planning parties, wrangling everyone, communicating, getting RSVPs, coordinating who's going to make what food, who's going to bring the cranberry sauce, all that kind of stuff. Again, a lot of this work ends up being done by women. But it is work, and it's really important work. It is the work that holds relationships together. So men need to be more aware of this and they need to be more active in participating in this process. Other examples of contributing are just cleaning. How many men do the dishes? How many men clean up after themselves? How many men clean the bathroom? How many men have a cleanliness standard that matches their female partner's cleanliness standard? This is a big topic and it's just another simple way that men can show up more that historically they haven't. You think of this traditional 50s expectation where women are just cooking and cleaning all day and men are, you know, working and then when they're free, they're smoking or playing golf or whatever. So part of being a more modern man and part of being a contributing member to society and a responsible and mature adult person is to clean up after yourself and to also take responsibility for cleaning your house 
And if you have children, take responsibility for cleaning up after your children and not always be expecting that your partner, especially your female partner, is going to be doing that stuff for you. Why would you have that expectation? Why would that be her job and not your job? So contributing is really more than anything. It's looking at your life and going down the list. Who do I share a home with? How do I show up for them? Do I have a family or do I live with family? How do I show up for them? Do I have professional commitments? How do I show up for those? Men tend to be a little bit more committed to their jobs. But even within your workplace, there's a lot of ways that you probably could be contributing that you haven't before. Maybe things that are outside of your job description. Maybe emotional labor. Perhaps there's emotional labor that happens in your workplace that you could show up for. It's really going down the list and assessing how much do I show up for this stuff? How much effort do I put in? How much relationship building do I do? How nurturing am I? How caring am I? Am I the person who picks up the groceries on the way home? Am I the person who checks in with someone when they're sick? Am I the person who cleans the bathroom because it's the right thing to do? How am I helping? How am I helping out? Okay, let's go on to number three, tenet number three, work on yourself. This is another big topic. I believe that the fastest way for men to close the gap between where they currently are and where they could be begins with self-work. When you have problems or issues or parts of yourself that are underdeveloped, the, the first part of figuring that out and working on that is developing self-awareness. Being self-reflective is really important. Paying attention to yourself when you speak, paying attention to your thoughts, mindfulness is really where this starts. Seeing how people react to you, paying attention to how other people interact with you and how they seem to tend to feel when you're talking to them it gives you a lot of mirroring for who you're being. And when you start to analyze yourself more and think about how you speak how you express yourself, what kind of ideas you have, what you fixate on, what excites you, what makes you angry or depressed. This is really important information for learning about yourself because what's going to happen is that you're going to come up against your rough edges. You're going to come up against your prejudices. You're going to come up against your poorly formed impressions. You're going to come up against stereotypes that you have. You'll come up against programming, social programming or family programming ideas that you have internalized, which if you really sit down and pick them apart and think more critically about them, they don't apply to you. Or maybe they don't apply to other people that you've been judging. Maybe they're lenses that you've been viewing the world through, which don't work for anyone. So doing the self-work is really important. One of the reasons that I think a lot of men avoid doing self-work is because it's very vulnerable. It's very confronting in emotional places that men typically don't want to go. And so a lot of men will avoid doing the work so that they can avoid having to feel touchy-feely or having to feel weak or having to feel imperfect or having to own up for wrongdoing or having to take more responsibility of one's actions. But I would argue that this is some of the manliest work that you can do. What I really mean when I say that is just that it's the work of a mature adult. So any, any mature adult needs to do this. Any mature adult needs to be able to 
assess themselves, figure out what's working and what's not working, figure out which parts of themselves need more nourishment, which parts of themselves need to grow up. You can't be a really functional and well-rounded and contributing adult and member of society if you're not willing to do some amount of work on yourself. So what are some ways that we can support ourselves in doing this? Going to therapy is a huge one. I'm such a big advocate for therapy. I think everyone should do it. I think everyone has material that they need to discuss with a therapist. And I challenge you, if you think you don't, if you think you're good to go, look at your life. Are all your relationships great? Do you have a good relationship with your parents if they're still alive? Do you have a good relationship with your kids? Do you have no addictions? Do you not feel depressed? Do you have no one in your life giving you hard feedback? If none of these things are happening, then truly you are part of a fortunate minority of people who may not need therapy. But even then, I think that you probably just have a blind spot. So basically, I think everyone needs to go to therapy. And if you feel resistant to that, ask yourself why. Especially if you're a man. If you're a man and you feel resistant to going to therapy, why might that be? Is it because it's sissy stuff? Is it because you're just manly enough? You don't need to do it? Is it because you don't like talking about your feelings? Get clear on that. And a good thing to do is talk to a partner. Ask someone you really trust. Do you think therapy will be good for me? Do you go to therapy? Try to figure it out. I think you'd be surprised if you took a poll of people in your life. I think you'd be surprised how many of them go to therapy or have gone to therapy. So another big part of working on yourself is feeling your feelings. And if there's one thing men struggle with, it's feeling their feelings. I can speak from my own personal experience that I had a lot of trouble with my feelings when I was younger, even in my 20s. I was very much in my head. I was one of these men who felt really comfortable in the cerebral, the world of ideas, the world of thinking, the world of problem solving in that logical way. So when I came up against my more feeling self, it was jarring. It was a strange experience. It felt like there was this whole other person in me who was trying to find expression or who was trying to come out, which is exactly what it was. And it's not that it was another person. It was just more of me. The person that I've been walking around as in the world was an incomplete representation of myself. And so I started going to therapy in my late 20s and have continued ever since then. It's done wonders for my ability to be in touch with my feelings. It's given me a lot of vocabulary for expressing that and a lot of tools for working through it. And I've also done a lot of work outside of therapy as well. The degree to which it has increased my self-knowing and my ability to relate with other people, whether it's family members, partners, friends, even co-workers. I had a, a job for a while where I was managing a team of people, and uh, it was really important to, to be able to work with my feelings and work with the feelings of people on my team. Having that emotional intelligence was a massive help to me in having the best relationships with my co-workers and particularly people I was managing. So I can't overstate how important it is to get in touch with your feelings. And it's a long journey. It's not easy. It might be one of the most courageous things that you ever do in your life. But courage is what we're here for. It's not courage if you don't feel scared doing it. So my invitation to you is to get out there and start doing it. Another important part of self-work is learning more about your needs and how to meet them. And again, this is another part of, in my belief, just being a mature adult person is being able to meet your needs. Now, this doesn't mean 
being able to being the only person in your life who meets all of your needs and being self-sufficient in that way. That's not what I'm talking about. No person can really meet all of their own needs. We're a social species. All of our success is based on our ability to cooperate and help each other. And it's vital for the health, the emotional, mental, and physical well-being of a person to be in community with other people and to depend on other people. It's very important. So I'm not talking about being totally self-sufficient unto yourself as a human. I'm talking about figuring out what your needs are and how you're going to meet them. So pretty much every human has social needs, has the need for exercise, has emotional needs, whether it's I need downtime, right? Maybe you're a more introverted man and you really need to figure out how to get the alone time that you need. Or maybe you're a very emotional man and you need to figure out who are people in my life that I can have these deeper, more emotional, more vulnerable conversations with. I think that personally, most men I know could probably use a bit more of that in their lives. So, I mean, as humans, we're, we're nothing if not bundles of needs walking around and trying to get our needs met. I mean, that's a large part of what we spend our time doing in our lives. And so becoming clear on what those needs are and having a more thorough and well thought out assessment of how you get those met or perhaps the bridges that you need to cross, the dots that you need to connect in order to get those needs met is going to be really vital to your well-being. And what you're going to find with this, this whole category we're talking about working on yourself is that once you start being self-reflective, once you start welcoming criticism, once you start learning about your needs and getting them met, once you start going to therapy, once you start feeling your feelings and having a more mature conversation with yourself about your feelings, if you start doing all of those things, so many of the other points on, on these tenets that I'm talking about will come together. Your relationships will get better. You'll start showing up more in your life. You'll almost always feel less depressed, happier in yourself. And if you do struggle with depression, you'll have more tools to work with. You'll feel more connected to your community. You'll feel more valued by the people in your life. This stuff is a natural extension because you'll start showing up differently in the world and people will respond to that. So work on yourself. It's a huge one. Okay, the last one I want to talk about here is developing your awareness. Now, this one's somewhat related to working on yourself, but whereas working on yourself is really inward-facing, this one's outward-facing. So what I'm really talking about with develop your awareness is think about other people. So the first thing I want to say here is that it's just important to start paying attention to the people you're around. When you're in a room with people, if you're in a public space with people, or maybe if you're just hanging out with one friend or you're hanging out with your partner or you're hanging out with your kids, my invitation is to just start paying more attention and specifically pay attention to how your social interaction is going. So what's the body language? Consistently smiling at you in a natural way. If they, are in, if they are initiating contact with you, if they're initiating conversation with you or maintaining conversation, if they continue asking you questions, if they express interest in your life, if they offer to help you or they, they're proactive about making plans with you or whatever it is that you're talking about, if you feel like someone is really showing up 
and bringing a mutuality to your interaction, then that's a good sign. That probably means you have a, a good relationship with that person, whether it's, you know, you're, you met a stranger in the park and your dogs are sniffing each other and you talk for five minutes and it feels nice and you leave, right? Whether it's that level of relationship or whether it's someone you're married to. But just paying attention to how your interactions actually go and what the body language is, the body language is so important because people can often be dishonest with their words, but the body language is a lot more telling. If someone's constantly look like they're trying to get their body to face away from you, if they're not wanting to make eye contact, maybe they're smiling, but it's a nervous smile, or they'll laugh at what you say, but it's, it's kind of a quick laugh and it doesn't really feel that authentic, right? We're, we are programmed from the ground up to decipher this information. And so once you just develop a mindfulness around it and you start paying attention, you'll start to notice how people are reacting to you, how they're responding to you. That'll give you a lot of information about how you're being and what you can do, what you can work on as a person. Another question to ask yourself around this is how much space am I taking up? So it's a really good thing to examine. You know, men are known for taking up more space, for being louder, for talking first, for talking longer, for perhaps feeling like the points they make are more important. So this is a, a really established, established thing in our culture. So the question you should ask yourself is how much space am I taking up and is it balanced? And my suggestion would be just hang back a little bit. There's no problem with taking up a little less space. There's no problem with not being the funniest person in the room. There's no problem with letting someone else take the initiative in conversation. There's no problem with letting someone else speak first. These are often signs of maturity. They're signs of self-awareness. They're signs of room awareness. So what we're really trying to do is develop awareness of the room. Learning how to read the room is such an important skill. It will serve you in so many different parts of your life. And then furthermore, once you start developing your awareness around this stuff, it's important to just be considerate. It's a simple statement, but, but again, like with the do no harm statement, I just want you to stop and imagine what does that actually look like? What does being considerate look like? If I entered every interaction that I had with a person and my mantra was be considerate, what would that look like? In my mind, it looks like asking people genuine questions, being patient, not putting your needs before someone else's. It's important to take care of your needs and recognize what they are, but to not be consistently deciding that whatever it is that you need is more important than what somebody else needs. And a lot of times being considerate means giving someone space, right? Maybe the, the message you're getting either verbally or non-verbally is leave me alone. And in that case, the best thing to do is respect that. Leave someone alone. And when you don't, that's harassment. That's the definition of harassment. You're giving someone attention they don't want. So it's really important. Being considerate is a very important thing. And the last thing I want to talk about here is uh, I spoke a little bit about leaving space. Let's get a bit more into that because one of the things I want to highlight is that it's especially important to leave space for people who aren't men, or maybe people who aren't, if you're a white man, people who aren't white men. There's a privilege factor going on here that's really important. It's important to figure out which of these large blanket privileges you may have. And if you're a man, 
you're already in one of the largest privileged categories in the world. And so it's especially important for you to be aware of that, to be aware of your privilege and to leave space for people who aren't as privileged as you. So maybe by their gender or by their race or by some other social marker, maybe that social class, it's important to, to be aware of that and to not dominate conversations that involve people who are in lower privileged classes than you are. So that's really important. So that concludes my four tenets of manhood. I should really call this the four tenets of 21st century manhood. These are the things that men, in my opinion, most need to focus on right now in order to make themselves better, in order to make the world a better place, and in order to bring a good name to manhood. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join me next week. Mm-hmm.